Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is the best cut man in the fight business. He has worked with some of the greatest fighters and champions in history. Welcome to the show, the legendary Jacob Stitch Duran. Hello, sir. Hey, good to see you again. It's been too long. Uh, yeah. I told you to call me, right? I told you I got more stories. I know. know. You know, after the last interview, I'm like, I know there's so much more to go. And not to mention, I had read your first book, From the Fields to the Garden, A Life of Stitch Duran. Also, I didn't get at the time until now to read the second one. And man, there's more stories to go. Those books are packed full of just amazing stories and insight. Have you thought about like a documentary? Well, they're doing that now, actually. It's called From the Fields to the Garden. So we interviewed for boxing, Sean Porter, Shane Mosley Jr. and his wife. We got Virgil Hunter. MMA got Cain Velasquez and Javier Mendes and even got Michael B. Jordan. You know, and then, you know, guys that I grew up with as as a farm worker and friends I grew up with and all that and the family. And so we're, you know, they're starting. We got one more interview probably with me. Just kind of finalize it. And then uh, they go out there and try to put it in the market. And But I think he'll do well. Gerald Roxburgh does a lot of the documentaries for the UFC. He's a producer, and Danny Acosta is the director, and yeah, they got some great footage. And you know how it works out is, I think I mentioned it before, is the book is From the Fields to the Garden. Growing up as a farm worker with the fields, and the garden was Madison Square Garden. My goal was to make it there. Well, I was there Saturday, right? <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but what happened by the grace of God is when they, these guys called me that they wanted to do a documentary on my life, and call it the same as the book, From the Fields to the Garden. So by the grace of God, bro, I get a call that Triple G is fighting of all places at the Garden. This is like a week after I signed with them. So I let them know, and they readjusted their budget and their time frames because they were going to start, you know, in the Central Valley where I grew up at. And the zone and the Garden and Triple G gave us all access. So we got three days of great footage, and with that they made a a sizzle. But, yeah. So it's coming along good. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I mean, the books are amazing. And yeah, people can pick that up anywhere. Definitely more than worth the read. Super entertaining. And yeah, you mentioned, because the last time we talked, I believe it was in the works for Creed 3. But yeah, you and Michael B. Jordan, and I believe this was like his directorial debut, correct? Yeah, 100%. You know, I uh, in the second Creed, every day I wrapped his hands when we did the fight scenes. They were just him and I in the trailer, you know, we're kind of shooting the shit and talking to him like I do fighters. And, uh, but I told him, I said how proud I was of him and uh, Ryan Coogler who wrote and directed uh, Creed, the Creed series and, and directed Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, Tessa Thompson. And then Steve Capo that directed Creed too. And just like you're looking at me, I'm wrapping his hands, his hands are out like this. And he looks at me and says, Stitch, we went from being actors to writers, producers and directors. And he looks right at me like you're looking at me and says, I'm dragging Creed three, and you with me as long as you want. <laughs> wow, wow, that's amazing. And he's yeah, yeah he's just an amazing guy overall. He's a super guy, bro. Yeah, and if he wasn't, I because I told him in the first one, so Michael, if you ever change, I'm gonna kick your ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I treat him like a fighter. Right? Yeah, and that's awesome too. And I imagine also for him that just translates being yeah. in that role and everything. Same with Jonathan Majors. You know, I, I didn't know who he was. He did a great job, man. But the first day I started wrapping his hands, he's not talking to me. And I don't go for that. You know, I yeah. try to make him talk and all that. And finally, he wants to get up and leave. And and that's a nah, man. We always dap and we always hug. So he gave me a dap. He gave me a hug. But then I realized that he was in character. And 
I respected wow. him so much more. So after that, every time I wrapped his hands, I put it in his mind that he's getting ready to go fight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, you can't help, but that's being emulated. So take that up in the atmosphere, so to speak. Wow. It's so amazing. And I know just growing up, obviously loving boxing. And then later on in like the early nineties, MMA starts blowing up and you kind of start out with like kickboxing and things like that. When I think of the fight game, one of the main faces and names I think of for me, at least is always you. <laughs> You're always on the scene. You're always a major player. And we can talk to people that may not know this, but the cut man's job, one more round, one more round, right? Yeah, it's funny you bring up one more round. Yeah, you're right. That's Our ultimate goal is to give him that one more round. And how that came to be is Mark Zucker. Uh, uh, in fact, I just talked to him the other day. He uh, he saw that Rocky movie where Rocky's down there. So I got go that one more round, right? And he thought, and he works for it. He does apparel. And he was working for uh, a company called BC Ethics. Then before the skateboarders and the surfers and all that. And so he came out with one more round and he sponsored Matt Hughes and uh, in the UFC, right? But Matt tells him, he goes, you know what? If anybody you need to sponsor, it's Stitch because his job is to give that fighter one more round. And he contacted me and we've been friends and we he sponsored me for the longest time. But if you notice all my outfits have one more round and that's as respect to Mark because he came forward. As a matter of fact, I'll leak it out to you is decided to work with Nate Diaz when he's fighting my man, Jake Paul. Really? Right? So, so I just talked to you talking about one more round. I just talked to Mark Docker a couple of days ago and asked him if he would make my outfit with one more round. So you heard it first here, bro. Wow. That's awesome. That's going to be a huge, I mean, all those fights have been huge, which is interesting now. Cause uh, you know, I think it's just this day and age. It's a social media age. And, you know, in the past, it's like you had to work your way up through the ranks, so to speak. And these guys in the different avenue are doing that. They're pulling the pay-per-view numbers, you know, right? Yeah, it's, it's a good business, you know. And the, the thing about it, it's a fair business, you know, when it comes to economics. And, you know, these guys are they're getting paid for the viewerships that show up, you know, and, and they're high numbers, right? So uh, plus it, it's fun working on because it's entirely different crowd than the one that we're used to in boxing, right? I, the first one I did was I worked with KSI when he fought Logan Paul. And, you know, KSI, like Michael B. Jordan, he was in Vegas. He came to Vegas to train with us. And every day I wrapped his hands and did the same thing as I did with Michael B. Jordan, right? But when you get out there, I knew it was a different world. We fight at the Staples Center. Uh, well, first of all, we fly to L.A. from Vegas in a private jet. Right. Wow. wow. Like, we don't do that too often, right? Yeah. And, then, and then we stay at a hotel in Beverly Hills by Rodale Drive. And your pillowcases, we have our initials embroidered, not just stamped on, embroidered JD. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, so it was a different world, but I knew it was real different when we walk into the Staples Center for the fights. And once we put our stuff away in the dressing room, the team will go to ringside and minus the fighter, but the corner guys. And we'll look at the ring and see what job you have, me, this and that. But was, as I'm walking through, everybody knew the two coaches from the UK, uh, but nobody knew who I was. You know? and that's, <laughs> my, that's, my, that's my staple center, right? But I knew, you know, Justin Bieber's there and yeah. Snoop Dogg and all these guys. And so it was a, it was a blast. <laughs> that, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's – but it's a, such an important side of things is when we're, I mean, you had on the last time you're on here and it's all in the book too. There's so many more rich stories, 
but you kind of went into like, you know, force Griffin fight and kind of that one more round concept saved him there. There's one I remember I wanted to bring up on this interview because I remember when it happened, it was such a nasty cut. And that was the Marvin Easton versus Vitor Belfort. I mean, that looks, I mean, it looks like he needs a maxi pad on his head, man. It is brutal. What was it like working with that and think, you know, deep, nasty ones like that? Yeah, you know, and it's funny because Marvin lived in Merced. I lived like nine miles from Merced. I mean, I didn't know him then, right? But he ends up with that big old cut. He took a knee from Vitor, right? And I get in there and well, the doctor's working on him. He stopped the fight because it was bad. So I'm getting in and I'm working on him. I can see the people are watching the watching us on the big screens, right? And I can hear him with a ooh and ah and all that shit, right? So my job is to take care of this fighter and see where his faculties are in moments like that. So I got, I'm working on the cut and I said, Marvin, this is the biggest fucking cut I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he started laughing just like you, right? But it let me know that he was okay. That was Joe Rogan says it looked like. Somebody got a strip and just filleted it and just yeah, it open. Yeah, pretty nasty cut. It's bad when the cut man is saying, hey, man, uh, this is pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew it. No, for me, it was no problem because the fight was already stopped. Yeah, right. right. So uh, my job was just to make sure that he was taken care of. We talked about this last time, and I want to touch base on this because what you bring to the table is not just your expertise. Yeah. You're going in there. I mean, it's already bad enough. There's a cut, let's say. But yeah. you go in there and you just dismantle the atmosphere, bring it down. Don't let the guy worry more than he has to. Whereas some people go, oh, and freak out. You cognizantly do this, correct? Yeah, 100%. You know, and and because these guys, their bell is wrong. You know, Michael Bisbing, Fedor Medianco, same thing. You know, and they, what what happened? You know, I, well, you got knocked out. I hear it like three times. What happened? Well, you got knocked out. Well, what happened? Michael, well, Mike, look, you got knocked out, you know. Uh, what's his name? Drago, Pete Sal. He fought Mike Brown and was getting the shit beat out of him, and the referee stops the fight. It was a good fight, but the referee stops the fight, and he's arguing with the doctor and the referee, and, and I come to him because I'm working with him. I said, Drago, I said, look at me. You got knocked out. He says, Stitch, Stitch, I believe. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have that because they know I'm there to take care of them. Yes, they know that you're 100% in their corner. And, and I'm truthful with them. Yeah. You know, you got knocked out. I look at them. Nah, you know what? You won the fight, or you could have won it, or the referee stopped it. You know, you don't want to put that negative stuff on them. Plus, you know, as a coach, or even when they're training, like I have to push through the grit and grind. And you're like, yes, 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 but we want you healthy and yeah. safe. Yeah, number one. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 the only thing I need. You know, yeah. people, are, you know, they ask me every time I work fights, who is going to win? I, say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like making predictions because they. They, they're just predictions, you know, but if you ask me the probability of cuts, then I could maybe give you a more better definition of what the results will be. You know, yeah. like Nate and Jake, you know, I expect to work cuts. You know, I've always worked Nate's fights and Nick's fights and wrapped their hands and all that. So I'm very familiar with them. And, and for him to bring me in was a very smart move because if I could take that and give him that one more round, and he has a high probability of winning a fight. Man, he's got so much scar tissue, too. I mean, yeah. it is what Texas, it is. Yeah, and then, you know, you got to also look at where you're at, where the fights are at. Well, the fights are in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And I've done plenty of shows there where they trust my character, my, my judgment on that. And my thing is not to get him hurt, but to give him every chance to win the fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we talked about this before, too, but I just love the aspect of it is, I mean, you've been in this fight game forever, man, and... 
you still feel it, right? When you get there live, you can't help but feel the energy in the arena. What is that like for you even through to this day? Uh, even like today, I was at the Mayweather gym and I let these like young guys know us to look, you know, I do this all the time. And I said, you name somebody that's worked as many fights as me and as many world title fights as me and in, in all sports and as many cuts as me, as many rap as many ads, name one, right? But everyone that I do, like I was in New York for the fight Saturday at the Garden and I was telling these people, it's I've done so many fights, it's not about the fights no more, it's about the characters, you know, about the people that are there and the stories we share and the moments we have together and, and you know, the fight is part of that, you know, but the ultimate goal is sit there and understand them and that's the, that's the fun part, behind the scenes, yeah. like it. Fight, you know, the fighters, messing with them mentally. You know, like, like uh, was it Andrew? Yeah, Andrew uh, uh, Maloney, one of the, the twins from Australia. We're doing a show. His brother's fighting in Stockton for the world title. But I asked him, and, and this is a question that, well, let me go back. Sure. For the documentary, they interviewed Michael B. Jordan. And Michael says, as I'm rapping, his hands, one of the, the stories that, that he gave out, he's a stitch is wrapping my hands, and all of a sudden, and this is my third movie with him, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, he says, Michael, he says, do you know my real name? He says, Stitch. I said, no, no, no. Do you know my real name? You know, we've been together. He said, I don't. Like, hey, anybody know Stitch's name? So anyway, this young guy, I figured I'd mess with him. I said, you know, Drew, we've been together. How many fights have we worked already? They're from Australia, right? And they're, oh, I think three or four. I said, yeah, you know, that's that's about right. I said, but you know what? Let me ask you. Do you know my real name? <laughs> he started choking. You know, I caught him off guard, bro. And, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I just know you as Stitch. You know, I, I said, I remember you. And then he said, I remember you gave me your card. And But no, people don't remember my real name. <laughs> That's great. Uh, real quick, too, because you just let people know how you got the name Stitch. Yeah, that was in my old, when I had school kickboxing. I was working with Dennis Alexio. That time was the baddest guy I ever met in my life. He was a great kickboxer, world champion from Vacaville, California. He was the brother for uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in the movie Kickboxer. He was the one in the wheelchair. Well, Dennis was a real kickboxer, badass. And so his sparring partner, Dave Rooney, they were fighting on the same card in Vallejo, California. And I was making that transition of being a cut man. And, and Rooney, Dave gets a small cut. Now that I know it wasn't big, it wasn't a Marvin Eastman. It was a, yeah. it was a simple cut, right? But then I would study other cut men, so I just kind of put some pressure on it and stopped it. And then at the end of the fight, I got some tape and I little strips and I butterfly it. And he says, oh, man, he goes, I don't have to go to the hospital. You save me some stitches. I'm going to call you Stitch. You know? <laughs> so last thing I ever knew about David was David Rooney, is, he was a fisherman in Alaska. right? And, uh, but then I just did uh, talk to a friend of mine, one of my kickboxers, Mike Durant. And... Uh, he said, David now moved to San Francisco where he's a captain on these vessels that take the people out fishing and all that. So I got to let him know how much he uh, actually changed my life by giving me that nickname. Wow. Amazing. From your military days in the Air Force, getting interested in, I believe it started off with Taekwondo, but really kind of into the Muay Thai side of things and boxing and kickboxing later. But yeah, you were one of the first promoters in California for the International Kickboxing Federation. And I believe it was like early, like 1991, right around there, when you went over to take a team to fight the Ukrainians. That's where you met the Klitschko brothers. Yeah, I was the first IKF promotion. And well, I take that back. Steve Fonson had one, but I did like two or three shows with him. But we had the first world champions out of IKF. Uh, wow. Mike Duran, I think Andy Sanchez and all that. So 
had a long history with Bam Bam and, and uh, Steve Fossum. And, you know, we helped put that program together and they took it to the top. So, but yeah, during uh, when the Soviet Union first broke, and uh, I told Vitaly Klitschko, it was December, well, the December the 12th for sure. I said 1991, he says maybe 92, when the Soviet Union first broke. But we took a team of professional boxers and kickboxers to Kiev, Ukraine, to fight the Ukrainians. And it was phenomenal. But the Klitschkos were young kids there, but they were already stars in the making. And when they got to the States, I brought up those stories and I brought up a poster of, you know, everybody had signed it and all that. And so there, that's how we ended up working eight years with both of them. It's crazy. It's so wild how it works. Yeah, even run into it with Ocean's Eleven, right? Well, that's that's what happened is, is through Ocean's Eleven, that was that was the seal because I was his cut man in the movie. And then shortly after that, right, Emmanuel Stewart comes up to me and there's a fight at the MGM. Emmanuel Stewart at that time used to commentate for HBO. But he's walking by and said, hey, I need to talk to you about Vladimir. And he's looking at my friends. Did you see what I saw? So he called me the next day and Vladimir says, the guy that was my cut man in the movie, I wanted to be my cut man. Man. Yeah, that's still the deal. And he's an amazing guy. I think the last time you're on Russian-Ukrainian war, it was right around where it started. And he had, even during war times, him, both of them, heavily involved in this. And he still took time out to send you good wishes. And Yeah, that was, um, <laughs> that was you know, pertaining because uh, Michael B. would always ask me from, my opinion on doing things the right way. And they asked about who should give away the WBC belt. So I gave them the story. It was created by Jose Suleiman, Mexico City, most prestigious belt out there should be given away by a Mexican. Well, we're in Atlanta and there was only one Mexican and his wife in the audience that were extras. So we picked him out and, and, uh, and therefore he's the one that gave it away. But yeah, that worked out that way. Crazy. Have you heard from them since? I mean, it's been a while. No, yeah. It's, ever since that last message that uh, that he sent me, you know, was enough. You know, they're they got way better things right now than we responded to. But I let him know when Vladimir he's the face, so he'll put stuff out on social media and I always reply to that. Oh. And but yeah, they've I've had great moments with them. And like I said, you know, all the fighters you work with, Andre War, Chris Algeri, the Klitschko's, it's like you guys are like family especially stories we talked about with the Klitschko brothers. It's like family. You can't help but do that. I believe you even mentioned there's like almost like a father-son kind of atmosphere to that relationship. Yeah. I mean, you know, Vladimir, daddy. You know? And uh, But I told him, you know, when he was going to fight Anthony Joshua, and I didn't see him until Friday at the weigh-ins. My daughter Carla got married in Crete, and I got in Thursday night. But I'm sitting there with him and Vitaly, and finally I put my hand on Vladimir as I leave. I said, look, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. Take care of you like you're my son. And I leave because I know they can't sleep. I'm putting the Vaseline on him, bro. Me and he's about this far apart, right before Michael Buffer does the announcements. Like 90,000 Brits that are like 150,000. Anybody else? And he's like this. He says, you can call me son. Bro, that didn't get my heart. Dude, like, yeah. Just to know that they know you have their back. That's, yeah, there's something the type brotherly love with that for sure. And then, yeah, down the road, of course, working with Tyson Fury and, and even them reaching out to you for Tyson Fury camp. Can you tell people kind of like how that you segued into yeah, this? Yeah, Jose, Jose in the, the fight that brought him out was when he fought this guy that, and he got that kind of like a Marvin Eastman type of cut, right? Mm. Down around the eyelid, eyelash. And the guy that performed on it was Jorge Capetillo. Well, he's not even a cut man. He's more of a trainer, but he was always opening the gym for top rank and all that. Anyway, so <laughs> poor guy. He said, man, I just did everything that – I saw people do, you included. 
And I played every round. So he got him through the fight, right? So I, I met with him because he's a friend of mine. Like uh, three days later, I said, look, man, you made us all proud. You brought us up credibility and this and that. But there's some things that you did that we could improve on because on the next fight, all eyes are going to be on you. So we did. We went through some things. But he ended up uh, telling Tyson Fury that get Stitch because Stitch is a better cut man than me. Yeah. And uh, same with Bob Arrow. Wow. And yeah, so they called me and walk in the gym. I meet him and he's tying his shoes on the steps going into the ring and stands up and comes give me a hug and a kiss and says, welcome to the team. Best coat man in boxing, he says. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. One of the chapters in your first book, going into the whole Bob Sapp versus Mike Tyson, that was, sounded pretty crazy. Can you kind of walk through it was like you being on the scene there? Yeah, that was a K-1. Scott Coker, right? He's the one that used to do the K-1 strike force. And, but my fighters used to fight for Scott before, way before he was strike force. So every time K-1 came to town, they would hire me to be the cut man. Anyway, Mike Tyson's in the audience. So after the fight, then they're talking about Bob Sapp and Mike fighting. So I said, oh, that'd be interesting. You know, I've done Bob Sapp's fights. He's a giant. I've done pads for Mike Tyson. He could crack, right? So like a week later, I go by Mike's house. And he has a big old mansion and I drive in and there's like three cop cars there and some other cars. And I said, oh, hey, what's up? So I got to go inside. So I go inside and it's empty and I say, hey, I was looking for Mike. So, well, you know, we, you don't live here no more, you know? And so, but I was going to tell Mike, I said, look, if you fight Bob Sapp, you got to let me train you because that's my background. Right. And yeah. that would never happened. You know, it would have been interesting. Yeah. You got to deal with more than just the punch. You got to worry about those kicks and, yeah, like checks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a different monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I always thought that was an interesting aspect of it. It depends on the rule set, right? MMA versus kickboxing versus boxing. And do you approach anything, I suppose, differently between those three categories, for example? No, as far I, always, as uh, I was, you know, I was telling one of these young cut men today at the Mayweather gym is you know, I always prefer for the worst case scenario because it's going to happen. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't prepare for night work and you actually, you lock and load, man, you know, and you just expect the cut could, could happen that quick. Yeah, but a good question on that. Wow, interesting. And I do have to follow up. I almost feel like it's a side subject here that's interesting. The last time you were on the show, you had a boss rooting story where he's just darting through traffic with you. And uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we used to go to the pride fights, him and Moro, Ronaldo. Oh. You know, we would always hang out and, you know, boss sent me every fight that he had. So we're friends, right? But when we did the movie, Here Comes the Boom, uh, oh, yes. we did it. Uh, we, were, we stayed in, in Boston, and then we would film in Lowell, Massachusetts. So boss was going to be there like three, four months. So he had his car shipped to him. And, yeah, he had a Porsche, right? <laughs> and, and in Boston, it was raining and all that stuff, and 6 o'clock in the morning, and boss has his music full blast, and, He's doing this and he's driving like this. And I said, I'm thinking two things. Number one, he's European, so he's used to this, right? <laughs> Number two is Boz Rutten, and Boz Rutten's not stupid. You know, yeah, right. knows yeah. how, Boz knows how to take care of himself. So I just buckled up and went for the <laughs> ride. <laughs> you know, that was funny, man. Yeah, good guy, super nice guy. Super nice. It sounds like, yeah, everybody in general you've worked with, great people to work with, and vice versa. That's probably. It's testament to you and your character and, and your professionalism. Uh, they seek you out for that purpose too. I think that's yeah. you. That's who you want in your camp. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what you see is what you get. And you know, uh, one guy at the gym today said, Man, I'm on you for all these years, and you've never changed. You know, I said, Nah, I'm not gonna change. We don't got to change for you. Why you know? do I do that? Yeah, yeah no, that's just, I don't like assholes and kids' asses. I don't think I'm either one of them. But. <laughs> yeah, like I always like to work myself. I, I don't work with assholes. I'm like, yeah. oh, we're good. I, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Speaking of which, I do want to bring this up because there's another thing outside of your skill and your personality and everything. But this is just super honorable, I thought. Back in like some Twitter comments with during the UFC Reebok thing, even there, man, always have the fighters' backs. I always had really admire that, whether it puts you on a chopping block or not. I think that's a very admirable trait, man. Yeah, you know, thanks. I appreciate it. It's, uh, but I grew up with that. You know, my parents, and I think I mentioned before, is, you know, we all grew up as farm workers in the Central Valley of California, which is the agricultural capital of the world. You know, my address is CPC number 12. California Packing Company, number 12, you know, so I lived under those conditions, but my parents always fought for the fair practices for farm workers. And during the Cesar Chavez era, when they were with the huelgas, the strikes and all that, my parents participated. And when Chavez walked, their group walked from uh, Delano to Sacramento, they walked through our town. So we've always been fighting for the underdog. We are the underdogs. And when uh, that came to be with the UFC, you know, I, they call me, John Nash called me from bloodyowl.com, never met him, but he asked, would you be interested in doing an interview of how the Reebok deal affected the company? And once again, I thought about my parents and what they struggled with. And I said, yeah, you know, so very politically correct, but shit, it went viral. <laughs> oh, no. It went all over the world. And, and, uh-huh. and it just, I mean, on the second week, it was so crazy. I did like 57 interviews in a week. Oh my and, goodness, uh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, and then they, my friends called me at my Costco and and uh, my wife and I there and they asked if, uh, if I had time to talk. And fuck, I knew what it was about. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you got to figure it. So right here in the same chair I'm sitting at, I get a call from them, Mark and, and Jesse. And, and the only thing they say is because of the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC is not going to use you no more. And I go, all right. Hey, they're lost, bro. Yeah, yeah, you did. But I said, yeah, all right, do me a favor, man. You tell Dana. I said, he ain't got no balls that he should have called me since he's the one that brought me in. Right? right? Yeah. And uh, so, but the guy from Reebok called me, bro. It was that big. Come on. I was big. Hey, man, Stitch, we had nothing to do with it. You know, I like you. I met you and this and that. And, and then Dana blows it a couple of weeks later when the dust is settling. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Enough. They interview. They have the first big show on Fox Network. And Karen Bryant is interviewing Dana, and is one of the first questions is, "What about Stitch Duran? Is Stitch ever coming back? Bro, was that big? Nah, was Stitch ever be back? And this and that. And then down the end of the conversation, he blows it by saying, "Out of nowhere, Stitch and I were never friends, and yeah. that's still falling in his face." You know that and, that uh, yeah. When I heard that, I'm like, "This is some this is some like junior high or yeah 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 yeah." It was yeah. stupid. It was the stupidest thing he ever said in his life. And he said a lot of stupid things, right? <laughs> yeah. that, that was just stupid. But the memes that these fans sent me, bro, it's it was that that whole process was phenomenal. I mean, yeah. I got job offers from all over the world. And I told you, I did interviews, and I'm still getting compliments. You're not the first one to talk to me about that today. But one of the best compliments I've gotten, I mean, Wesley Snipes at the Creed thing. Hey, man, you usually did you wrong. Hey, nice meeting you, Wesley. But the best compliment I've gotten was. Uh, from one of the trainers that trained Brazilian fighters, top-notch mm. trainer. Oh, okay. Uh, he comes up to me, and this is 
within the last year. And I hadn't seen him in eight years. He says, Teach, says we, the coaches, the fighters, we thank you for speaking up because we couldn't. So, yeah, man. That, that, that's it right there. Yeah, I mean, you're a real dude. You know, it's not just. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with that compliment. And I just, actually, I worked with him Saturday in New York. We went to the airport together, and, and I mentioned that to the other Brazilian guys because this was boxing. So it was different clientele. But I told him how this guy just gave me the best compliment ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, a million percent. Yeah, I think everybody sees that. The fans saw that. And the fighters see that, too. So I, yeah, that's... yeah. It's, and they stop me. Whenever I see guys I haven't seen in a while, that's the first thing they bring up. So stick to your guns, man. That's what I always say. Yeah, especially any longevity to a career. People want to work with that. And, and people, they could trust themselves. You know, that's why people want you part of your camp. I did want to ask you, this is more like, a, I guess maybe like a more fantasy side of it. Is there anybody in history that you would have loved to have been like, man, it would have been awesome being in that guy's corner? Oh, Roberto Duran, shit. Yeah. yeah come on, first and foremost, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, just because he's Roberto Duran and, you know, I'm a Duran. And, yeah. You know, and I said, you know, when we're walking into the Mandalay Bay, Zab Judo is fighting Costa Zoo. And I'm walking in with uh, my two buddies, and Roberto Duran comes out of the restroom. And he comes up to me and hey, gives me a hug and tells me in Spanish, hey, man, you know, I feel proud that you're supporting the Raza and all that. And, you know, football thanks, both he leaves. And my friend, is that Roberto Duran? I said, yeah, blew me away. I didn't know that he knew, you know, we were never friends, wow. you know, but for him to come and, and recognize me for that was pretty powerful. Wow, crazy. that's amazing. And also, you know, starting out and coming up, it's such a long road traveled, but you do yeah, collect that as you go with your good work. And then also like in your past, whether it's boxing or kickboxer side of things, you got any interesting fight stories? About that fight with Forrest and Shogun, you know, I oh, stayed him and, you know, he won that fight and I, I mean, he was everything from the kitchen sink, right? But, you know, there's knockouts. I tell you, tons of knockouts. Krokop, when he got knocked out by... Oh, you know, that was nasty. Yeah, and you know, and then once again, you know, the doctor's trying to pull the mouthpiece out. And I had learned before from the doctors in Vegas that you leave the mouthpiece in because Krokop's like this. Oh, dear. Like this. And, but the doctor, I told the, the guy trying to pull it out, I said, no, no, no. Leave it, leave it in there because he's still breathing. As long as he's breathing, he has to reboot. And you don't want to take it out because the one can bite your finger. He can bite his own tongue. There's no need for you to take it out. It's not affecting his breathing. And once he, then you can take it out. There's a type of seat. Those are little things that doctors didn't know that I learned from doctors that make common sense. So. Wow. Yeah, it saved him. You know, otherwise it could have been more damaged or whatever. I, also, this too. This was another like super nasty cut uh, with Randy Couture. It was the first Vitor Belfort fight. It was like the glove. Oh yes. Okay. Let me tell you about that cut. Yeah. That cut looked like if you had a razor blade, you just sliced it. It was mm -hmm. a straight, straight, straight cut, but it was in a very dangerous position. You know, now you're looking at optical nerve damage, you know, closing the eye like this. And, oh, man. You know, so, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's, I, I forgot about that. Nobody's ever brought it up, but, okay. but I remember that cut very well now that you mentioned it. It was like a slice, just like a razor. Yeah, I remember that fight, and it was an awesome matchup. And uh, I don't, long story short, don't fight Vitor Belfort or just expect some really serious cuts is what I'm getting out of that. Oh, Vitor? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was the Brazilian guys that uh, I was with over the weekend. I showed him a, a, a video of my nephew. 
my nephew is a dancer, choreographer for these new groups that are coming up. So they were doing a world tour and they're in Rio de Janeiro. And he's, my nephew sent me a video. Yes, here I am, Uncle So So on this and Stitch and this and that. It's great to him, Rio de Janeiro. And I'm walking down the halls and what do I see? He showed me a picture of me and Vitor Belfort in the halls of the arena in Rio de Janeiro. He goes, Stitch. <laughs> it's a Stitch, the back of my jacket. So that was kind of cool. What I do, I come to Rio de Janeiro and my uncle's here. You know, so. <laughs> So that was pretty inspirational for him. Oh, very cool. Uh, and there's another one too, the GSP Grease Gates. But what was interesting with that, that just changed the whole approach of how the corner and referees alike get the fighters into it. Can said that a little bit? And the, the yeah, chaos. Yeah, that was a good point. And we made the adjustments right after that. You know, so for the most part, it was still a new, new sport, right? And guys in MMA followed the basic guidelines because they got into a sport. You know, we're all wrestlers. They all got into a sport of MMA, so they followed the guidelines real well. And you would never think of that, but this one guy, you know, decided to so and so and so. And, and I remember with newspaper or paper, you could see. So anyway, that was wrong. But Burt Watson, myself, Leon Tabs, I think Don House was with us. We well, how do we handle this? You know, from now on, well, we are the ones that control it. You know, the corner has no Vaseline, and the only place we're gonna Grease is here and here because this these are the, the major places for cuts. The, the brow and the cheekbones. Okay. That's it. Yeah, and it's the same rules right now. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's some still silly rules in there. Like the 12 to 6 elbow was created because they saw karate videos of people breaking bricks that way. It's like, yeah. <laughs> dude, a, a 9 to 3 elbow is just as dangerous. So, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Coming across, yeah, it all it's all angles. So yes. but that's a good point because... One rule I well one technique I would like to be banned from there is the grounded bound. Mm. You know, and when the guys, you know, when they're down and you know they're out, man, especially like you know, you hit somebody and, and he goes yeah, down you and know. you know, and there's no need to throw two or three poor guys. That's what creates long term damage. Yeah. Real there's simple. no need for it. The guy's already out, you know. And the sportsman, you should have that respect. Yeah, I mean it's scary otherwise. You know, and that's interesting too. I wanted to talk about since we last talked about uh, Michael Bisping. He had come out about he has a glass eye or a blind eye, and I believe that was also from a Vitor Belfort kick. And, but then he continued on, man, to do fights as a cut man side of things. I mean, how crazy is it? Basically, fighting like this. I'm surprised that they let him fight like that. You know, because yeah. whenever they stop a fight, and that's why you know, like in the movie when Michael B. Jordan's eyes closed, well, I yes. would think see. All right. Well, that's a disadvantage. And if I would have done this, they would have stopped the fight. Yeah. Right? Really so. Well, this business coming in already like this. And that's one mystery I'll never understand is why they let him continue to fight. Not only through the UFC, but all the associations, the commissions that allowed it. Oh, yes. The yeah. That allowed it. You know, but I remember seeing Bisbee with his eye was starting to make those type of motions. Oh, wow. Being, really? different, being different than the other eye, you know. Clearly not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. Now, when you are going, you travel a lot for all these different fights. What is that? I don't even know what that's like, living out of a suitcase, basically, going to parts unknown and being ready to... Do you feel that as much as the fighter does? Yeah, that's part of the territory, you know. And it's funny you say that because I did an interview and 
This guy asked, he goes, what about your traveling and restaurant food? How how do you handle that? I said, well, I got them both up to here. Uh, but, if that, but if that's the worst that could happen, I think we're doing pretty good. You know? yeah, that was in New York Saturday. Tuesday, I go to Tokyo. I'm working with Kazuto Aoki, Japanese fighter, awesome. in a rematch and, and so on and so on. But yeah, it's travel comes with the territory, you know, and uh, it's kind of put in cruise control. And at this point, whether through just your professional career or just making friends along the way, you get to maybe go out to dinner with some of these guys too, you know, catch up, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. And that's how, those are the best moments. You know, the fights are one thing, you know, it's you're doing things systematically, you know, but when you're shooting the shit with guys and, and understanding them, they understand you and that's what makes it fun. If you don't mind, like outside, obviously the fighters, because everybody follows that. You know, what are some of the best? I mean, you had the Boss Rutten story. What are some good fight career guys? They're just awesome to hang out with. Just great people. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about the legendary Leon Tabs. Uh, oh. He was the original guy from UFC number one. Philadelphia worked with Bernard Hopkins and, and all that. And when the Fertitas fought the UFC, the only guy they brought from UFC one was Leon Tabs. John McCarthy was, I think he came on in like UFC number two. So Leon's the original. So he was here in the UFC, and Burt Watson, our coordinator, and me, we put this program together that everybody uses now, right? But we're in Sydney, Australia, and we're having Chinese food, right, me and Leon. And Leon, I always said, Leon, how the hell did we become best of friends? I'm a Mexican from a little town in the West Coast. You're a brother from a big town in the East Coast. How do we become best of friends, right? So anyway, we're eating Chinese food, and you know those little red dry hot peppers oh yeah when leon's eating them and i'm looking across and he's sweating bullets i said <laughs> leon, leon what's wrong i said what's wrong he goes, man these are hot i said leon you're not supposed to eat them brother they're just there for for the flavor you know but done <laughs> he's sweating bullets man <laughs> what a legendary guy and you know when they had the ufc 100 i tried to that's when i was still with him right mm-hmm. i tried to get him selected into the hall of fame and they did. They, they went in through here and out through there. But with the, the Fighters Only uh, Awards, I sent the guys a message, and they honored him with the Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, awesome. Yeah, but, oh. but I said, Rich, what's his name? The editor of the magazine. Anyway, I said, you know what? Leon is stubborn. He's old school. He's not going to come. He said, well, I'll tell him that they're giving me an award, and I would like to have you there since you're my friend. And we're sitting there, and they're announcing with so-and-so the Lifetime Achievement Award, and we're sitting close to the uh, stage. Leon Tabs, he goes, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was, uh, he got selected for the Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow, amazing. Has there been other things like guys that you've cornered, you know, as a cop man, noteworthy, like victory parties, like just larger than life, hangout points, like other moments kind of like of characters like that? Nah, you know what? It's funny, you know, after fights, those days of partying are done, you know, and, and it's more for the younger generation. But now Josh Barnett was like real good with me every time we went to Japan for Pride. Oh, and, yeah. uh, well, he, he fought for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Pride and all that. So he would always go beyond the Call of Duty to take care of me. Oh, amazing. And, uh, he'd be a business and he'd come and bring me some grapes and I'd be a coach, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, he'd bring me <laughs> stuff, cheese and all that. But my birthday always fell it still does on the 29th of December. And we're in Tokyo, right? we're, we're in Japan, but he'll always uh, make it a special dinner. And uh, so he was just, you know, beyond 
him fighting. But when we used to get there, guys would want me to wrap their hands. So Josh would say, no, nah, you know what? I paid to bring this guy here to work with me. If you want him to wrap your hands, it's going to cost you 500 bucks. Man, I'd make two, three grand like this, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and thank Josh for that, you know? But And then uh, ending to that story with Fedor Melianco. Oh, yeah. Um, he had just come back from breaking his thumb, first fight back. Yeah, I think he's fighting Mark Hunt or someone. And the promoter comes and asks me if I would wrap Fedor's hands. For Fedor, at this point, is already a legend. You know, yeah. he's he's a couple steps below God, you know, <laughs> and just the baddest of the baddest. And so, yeah, I agreed, and I get into the dressing room, and all these Russians are there. And But I've worked with, you know, a lot of Russians, a lot of Eastern Bloc fighters to understand their personality. So I'm rapping Fedor and, you know, not saying nothing, you know, for the most part, very minimal on his conversation with me. Finally, I finished. Okay, I said, okay, how do they feel? He looks at it. He said, super, super. Bro, that's all he said. I was so <laughs> happy, man. My feet were <laughs> in the ground. And, and, uh, that's awesome. You know, yeah. And then after the fights, he won, right? Yeah. After the fights, we're walking down the hallway towards the bus, and he invites Josh and I over. And, oh, you know, cool. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, and then after that, I always drive his hands. And his brother, Alexander. Oh yeah, you know, you know, little gangster boy. But he was good. He came up to me, you know, and asked me to wrap his hands. And we were that's when affliction, and uh, he fought yeah. in that car in Anaheim, I think. And my wife Charlotte and I are walking into the hotel, checking in, and he's talking to some friends, about four people there. He comes up to me and asks me to wrap his hands. Of course, you know, I'd be glad to. So those are those moments I'm telling you about that wow. you just can't go out there and buy. That's amazing. And kind of closing, I don't want to take up too much of your time because there's so many more stories to go. Of course, down the road, I'd love to have back on, especially once the documentary's out. So like a pre-fight ritual. And it's almost like at this point as a fighter, it's like a rite of passage. Let me get my hands wrapped by Stitch, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. And here's with you and Anderson Silva. You have an amazing story you told last time with Brock Lesnar. You even held, uh, I guess you would call a mitt uh, at that point because his glove's so huge. I have it. <laughs> They ripped, they ripped them. He ripped and I kept them. You know, they weren't big enough for him or whatever, right? Oh, hold on, man. Oh, please. Yeah. Look the suckers, man. You tell me they ain't big. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like this, it's like the size of your head. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's so, yeah, yeah, they didn't fit. They had to rip it and then uh, take yeah. that, right? Yeah, we had to make some adjustments there because, well, I tried to put it in in the inseams on the side rip, right? And I talked to Bert. He said, man, we got to figure something out because we only got two pair. And I remember the Klitschko's would put Vaseline on their gauze and then slide the glove in. But that's what I did on the second pair. Oh, and okay. We got it on. And I ended up keeping these. So it's cool. Yeah, and you think he'd be like in the zone or whatever when he saw you backstage. He's like, Stitch! Oh, like, oh, yeah. He kind of yeah, uh, elevated yeah, just, him. It was funny, man, because I, uh, but during those times also, I, I told him how much I like this shirt, and that's why I have I packed one for you. I said, "What, Brock Lesnar?" He said, "No, he goes my wife that she asked if if I should pack one for Stitch," and he said, "Yeah." So after I finished wrapping his hands, and he went and got it and gave it to me. But uh, <laughs> one of the fights, yeah, I go in the dressing room after that to congratulate him, and and Eric and the other guys are of the other side of the of the locker room, and he's completely away at the farthest point with his wife, and I walk in, Stitch, hey, what'd you think? You know, I said, oh, you did great. So we have that relationship, you know. Uh, I saw him after he had surgery, and he comes oh, to give yeah. me a giant fist bump, and 
you know, a chest bump and almost threw me back to your nose. <laughs> but that, that's a blessing, you know, I could talk about. What's the most common pre-fight ritual people do? There's a prayer or they just get quiet and zone in. I remember last time you do some kind of things that help them pop in fight mode there. Yeah, yeah. I always talk to them, you know, and more on the, we're friends, you know, we're friends, we're family, you know. And the thing I always tell them is my goal, my job is for you to walk out as handsome as you walk in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that always works. That always yeah. works. To be the ugliest guy in the world, but you know, I give them that opportunity. You know, at least they know that they walk out with no cuts. You know, yeah. they understand that, right? You know, and I say I'm gonna take care of you like you're my son. You know, and I got that from all that came to be when the author he took Rashad's title. Oh his yes, father, his father's very Japanese, very shogunish, right? They're in the dressing room, and the father sit, and uh, the author comes to me, and he says, "States in the ring, you are my father." And, <laughs> Father says yes. So I understand. You know, and they understand. You know, I've had fathers and mothers and wives come in and tell me thank you, you know, for taking care of your son, their husband, whatever. You wow, know. absolutely amazing. So what's the future hold? So we got the documentary coming out. Anything else? I mean, obviously you got your supplies, stitch premium supplies. Yeah, that's our cut man for our supplies. I don't know if we talked about did I talk to you about Boxer's Nightmare before we leave on? Okay. No, no. About 23 years ago. I got together with this young filmmaker. I knew nothing about film, about doing instructional videos, wrapping hands, working cuts. And oh. he, this young guy, John Barnhouse, just graduated from AFI, and he contacted me through an article he had read. That's what shit, let's do it. You know, I'm the kind of guy, let's do it, right? Let's go. Uh, but we ended up getting so much footage and so many interviews that we ended up putting a documentary called Boxer's Nightmare together. And it deals with all the shit that fighters go through from contracts to dehydration to wow. dementia pugilistica to managers to conditioning, everything that needed that's discussed in combat sports. I interviewed these guys. And as I look at this film, wait, John passed away about four months ago. And I oh. had seen this film in 17, 18 years. And we never did nothing with it, right? But I went back to look at it as a tribute to John. And as I'm looking at this, I said, no, nah, man. Everybody I interviewed here are Hall of Famers now. Everyone. Wow. I have four coaches, Emmanuel Stewart, Chuck Bodak, Miguel Diaz, referees Joe Cortez, Mills Lane, Richard Steele, Eddie Mustafa Mohammed, Fernando Vargas, Mike Tyson before he got a tattoo, Joe Lewis's daughter, Dr. Homansky, Dr. Goodman, deal with dementia. I got all these guys interviewed, and I'm looking at this film, and I'm thinking, Wow. Nothing has really happened, and I have this. I'm as a tribute to John. I'm gonna rekindle it and get some current interviews, and make a whole new statement, and see if we could change this game. Where these guys have wow. no pensions, no health insurance, no oh. legal advice. I have everything on this tape. It's funny because I don't know if you've seen the Andre Ward documentary on Showtime. They, they I, I haven't seen that yet. No great interview on him. But he, they bring up his manager, Andre, his coach, Virgil Hunter, and his wife bring up the issues that I brought up 23 years ago. Really? It's been done. We have an answer for everything. And yeah. I'm going to meet with some people about co-producing it with me and yeah. bringing it out. And just to educate, Fernando Vargas's manager, he brought out taxes and contracts and everybody, everybody, everybody wow. came forward with some valuable, valuable, valuable information and 
as a tribute to my man John, I'm gonna rekindle. I'm gonna light that fire, bro. That that fighter passion to me. It's gonna happen, and rightly so. Everybody had an answer. Mike Tyson says, you know, guys like me, Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, Archie Delahoya. Well, we get paid. Here's some of our money. Give it to these guys. We don't need it. We're taken care of. You wow. Know, you know, Mark Ratner is saying that the money comes from the pay-per-views, and it does. You know, if you can yeah. put a fund together and through these forces that people are putting into the game to protect these fighters. You know, Andre Ward is saying it is, you know, we got to pay our own stuff. You know, yeah. it's interesting, bro. This is the new I, It's crazy. I <laughs> absolutely love that. This is amazing, and it should be heard and seen. Stitch, you're the absolute best, man. Yeah, if anybody doesn't know, it is Jacob, but it's it is weird to say Jacob. Yeah. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's what, that's what Michael B. Jordan said. You don't look like a Jacob, you know. Would you be Jose, Pedro. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. I look forward to your future stuff and working with you on some of these things. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.